0: Hello, and welcome to Better Under Pressure. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe, author of The Shed Method and founder of Coaching Impact. And in this podcast, I talk to leaders from all walks of life about being better under pressure and using pressure for better. I want to explore how we handle pressure in a world that is becoming more and more complex, the impact that that pressure has on our ability to perform at our best, and what we do to be better under pressure.
1: In a startup, you are acutely aware that every new investment you make needs to pay off and you are acutely aware that the success of the sales team and booking the revenue that month, pays 30 people's mortgages. And when you're a small group and you all work in the same office, it really matters. And when the times are great, it's wonderful, it's fun, it's exciting, it's innovative, it's so agile, no stupid rules and you can really stretch your wings. But when things aren't going so well, there's not a big safety net.
0: And so the stakes in some ways really couldn't be higher. Today, I'm talking to Chloe Cameron, Chief People Officer for the Pax8 Amia region. She's worked in global corporates and small startups, and occupied a variety of leadership roles across marketing, business operations, and most recently, people. She came to a career in tech via a degree in history at Cambridge. She sees her role as developing the vision and strategy for maintaining and scaling an inclusive, high-performance culture built on servant leadership, psychological safety, and genuine community. She describes her mission as nothing short of empowering every Paxator to do the best work of their lives. In 2021, Chloe received the CompTIA Advancing Women in Technology Leadership Award. She describes herself as an unashamed analog book nerd who loves hunting through secondhand bookshops to build up a collection of original Penguin classics. In this episode, she bangs the drum for taking rest seriously, loudly and proudly, confesses that she's a recovering rescuer and describes the different pressures of abundance and scarcity and also how a moment of pressure rang in her ears for months afterwards. Chloe, welcome to Better Under Pressure. It's so good to have you on. Thank you very much, Sarah,
1: really delighted to be here.
0: Good. Um, Chloe, how do you experience pressure?
1: I used to think it was in my head, but what I've learned is it's a very physical phenomenon to begin with. Uh, so I experienced it personally, either in my stomach, like a knot, Mm. or across my shoulders as like a, a tension uh, and what's interesting since we've kind of got used to this world of hybrid working at least um, it's kind of different when I'm on my own versus when I'm in a group um, so when we were in the office every day if I just kind of felt pressure in a meeting situation the way I would feel those feelings and the way I would then control that pressure was often just to retreat within myself, almost kind of mm. put up a wall and kind of um, kind of try to endure the moment. Just like if I can just keep quiet and not uh, say something i regret, <laughs> stay in control by staying silent, I can kind of endure the pressure. Um, I did notice though, when we are sort of working from home a lot, and cause you're just in a room by yourself and you're slightly more detached from people down a call. If I experienced it, uh, and the joy of being able to go off camera, it would often come out as like a, uh, I kind of release the physical pressure with like a sigh, like a, oh. okay. <laughs> and uh, that sigh was really a cue for me for knowing that perhaps I wasn't dealing with the pressure. I was not going to be my best self. It's it's uh, it was normally a sigh followed by a oh for goodness sake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> ah yes, that internal dialogue that follows a sigh, fabulous, yeah. yeah. So I, I'm really interested in that word, endure. Mm. Did, did Do you think that something happened since you've gone to high, since since we've been operating in a more hybrid way, do you think that endurance now has moved and evolved even more? So it went into a sigh. So at least you didn't hold hold it, I'm hearing. It came out in a sigh. And has it evolved further since then so that you can understand it and and manage it better?
1: Would yeah, you say? I, I think so. And I, I think it's... Um... We, we noticed that a lot of leadership cultures, high-performing leadership cultures were kind of synonymous with endurance cultures, mm. which also leads to burnout because the human body uh, and psyche can only endure so much for so long. And what I've been trying to think about and what we try and think about um, with our leadership development here at PAX A is mm. how to go from endurance culture to resilience culture. Um, and, you know, it really ties into a lot of stuff that you and I have worked on in the past, which is, you know, how do you refuel yourself um, how do you look after yourself? So you're not about enduring, you're about being resilient through pressure.
0: Great. And I'm really I'm I'm thrilled with this conversation, actually, because you're the first chief people officer that I've had on this podcast. So I'm loving already the links that you're making in terms of your overview of the leaders that you that that you're working with and alongside, um, and how that maps out for a bigger picture, especially. I mean, we'll go into a your movement from Wi-Fi, Wi Hive, where we met, to um, Pax Eight. But let's take you way back, Chloe. Before I knew you, um, when when do you remember first experiencing pressure?
1: It's very interesting. I, I was thinking about this because I remember when I first experienced nerves, which is okay. I think is slightly different. Because mm-hmm. um, when um, I used to do a lot of uh, ballet and dance uh, when I was younger and um, was kind of submitted for competitions and that sort of thing, or before exams. So I I remembered the nerves before going on stage or going into the exam room as quite a small child, of about five or six. Um, but I don't think I really experienced pressure probably till I was a teenager. And then it, and then it was the classic thing of school exams when yeah. um, suddenly this stuff really mattered and you have all the rhetoric around, this is about your future, this is about your career, this is about the university you'll get into. Um, and I think I really experienced quite acute pressure going into my GCSEs. Um, I think that's when I really, really felt it.
0: What do you think, gosh, that's, I'm curious about that distinction between nerves and pressure that you're making there and how as a younger child, nerves felt like part of the deal yeah. to go, to go and <laughs> do a dance call, and yet something else has gone into your system or our systems when we go into the the narrative exams that ups it from nerves to pressure
1: yeah and because I think the stakes are higher really okay. um that was certainly how it felt for me yeah uh, the yeah, stakes felt yeah. really really high um yeah. and it like whereas dance was fun dance was a hobby and mm-hmm. I think you know the thing with dance is it's quite brutal. So you you know you you start taking ballet lessons and you get to about eight, and your dance teacher basically says, "You two, here, you might make it. The yes, rest I of know. you, this you will not make it. You are too tall, too big. Yeah, yeah. don't you know you don't have the right feet." Yeah, <laughs> um, so relate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is kind of a brutal thing to hear when you're eight years old <laughs> that you're too yes. big to be a ballerina. Um yes. but you know it kind of I. I'm not sure if it's just the there weren't the, the the stakes weren't that high when you're eight years old. I thought you know I had a very stable, loving childhood so I guess it you know while it probably wasn't what I wanted to hear, it didn't like dent me or damage me in any way.
0: hmm So the stakes were higher for exams for you. Absolutely. And how would you describe the difference between your experience of pressure versus nerves?
1: I think nerves nerves are tingly. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the physical sensation. And it in it I, and slight shortness of breath. Um, remember standing in the wings or just outside the room. And it is just that that anticipation. And because yes. it, it's the nerves, you know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you say, well, you know, you can say it's nerves or you can say it's excitement. Um, you know, it's a mindset thing, but the the physical sensations are very similar. Um yes. And, and it was just before you know so it whereas I think pressure certainly for me in the exam situation because you knew this date was coming and there's a lot of preparation it was like a really long slow burn yeah. that just built up and up and up over time um and it wasn't until like the event had happened that the pressure could be released because that you know um, even though I revised a lot, so, you know, I I was the girl with the with the index cards in the queue outside the exam me, the
0: final. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and again, yeah, it wasn't really till it was done that you, I kind of had that release. So I think it was a it was a long build up, um, and I guess it wasn't tingly; it was in the gut, and it was twisty and knotty. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is that how you now experience pressure?
1: Yes, yeah, still, uh, and it's really yes. interesting. Uh, my recurring anxiety dream, if I'm anxious, is I'm retaking my maths GCSE.
0: <laughs> Not even your A levels.
1: Not. My, I didn't do A level maths because uh, again, I had a very self-limiting belief that I was terrible at maths because right. I, it didn't come naturally. I found it hard. I had to work hard at it. Um, so I, yeah, GCSE maths. That was always that was like my uh, my Achilles heel in my uh, GCSEs. So um, that's always that. Still now, <laughs> all these years later. Uh, that's if I if I have that dream it's like ah you're worried about something
0: (laughs) yes yes and presumably now you you recognize it potentially earlier maybe and um you are already as you described earlier on you've got mechanisms
1: to Uh, absolutely
0: lead with it yeah
1: yes yeah I think um you know it's one of the the great gifts of this job actually like you you kind of have the luxury of really focusing on that, not just for the organization, but by proxy, you get to do it for yourself as well. And uh, understanding your pressure points and uh, trying to recognize the signs and, you know, nip it in the bud and also understanding what fuels you. So you kind of can be resilient rather than switch into an endurance mode when it comes to pressure.
0: Yeah. So, so let's, let's fast track up to, to the current situation. And um, I know that you've, You've recently, well, recently. How long have you been in this role now, Chloe? Uh, since January, right. So that is pretty recent, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so can you just share how your how pressure, how first of all you experience pressure in the difference between moving from a very fast startup growth company into a much larger. Enterprise, global enterprise. Can you just share how that has been for you and what you've done with that pressure? And then we'll go much broadly into how you how you manage others yeah. <laughs> and their pressure.
1: Yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting because the, the start I work for Wirehive, which was acquired by Paxay a couple of years ago. Um sorry, Wirehive Journey for me was about seven years. Um and there's both have pressure, but it was different. And it's really interesting in a startup, you're especially because we were an organically funded startup. So we did the bootstrap journey. So you are acutely aware that every new investment you make needs to pay off. And you are acutely aware that the success of the sales team and booking the revenue that month pays 30 people's mortgages. And when you're a small group and you're working the same office as we did in the before times, it really matters like when Mm. and when the times are great it's wonderful it's fun it's exciting it's innovative it's so agile um, you know no stupid rules and you can really uh, kind of stretch your wings Um, but when things aren't going so well there's not a big safety net Um, and so the stakes in some ways really couldn't be higher you know Mm -hmm. you care about all of these people who are your colleagues and care about the success of the business that you put so much into when it's a startup you know the the startup journey is not for people who are looking for a a 9 to 5 30 role it you know it takes a certain kind of person who wants to (laughs) jump into a startup um so yet in some ways the stakes were incredibly high um and feel incredibly high the interesting thing going to an enterprise is i mean pax is a you know hyper growth enterprise we sort of grow 80% year on year, <laughs> um, right. but so in this way that it's kind of too big to fail, which is a very different kind of way to operate and quite liberating in some ways. However, because of the pace of change and the, you know, the, the bigger community that you're a part of, you go from being a community of 30 people to 30, you know, 1300 people
0: yes. um,
1: and the growth and the ambition, the pace is even faster. Um and the the great thing about a really well capitalized, successful, fast growing business is you go from having scarcity problems in startup to abundance problems. Now abundance problems are much more fun to solve than mm-hmm. scarcity problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it does, it comes with a lot of options. And therefore your decision making is in some ways even more important because when you're in the very fortunate position of, well, what shall we choose to do, not what do we have to do to, you know, make the PL balance, mm-hmm. then actually you want to get the best um both long-term result and you know short-term win for the team. So actually with everything possible, the pressure to make a great decision, I think, is even higher.
0: Because the choices are greater.
1: Absolutely. And don't get me wrong, it is a blessed position to be in. Uh, I d- I do not complain. Um, but I think that's the main difference i have noticed.
0: Yes. And so what shifts have you had to make in your own leadership?
1: I think um, the biggest thing for me, sort of, the the shift was not only going to a bigger company, but for the first time, I am only uh, managing other managers, which was a big change for me uh, before I sort of managed individual contributors. And I think the biggest change is what made me successful at WireHive doesn't make me successful at Pax8. Mm-hmm. So what made me successful at WireHive was knowing a lot about how the business worked, a lot, you know, all the different internet and parts, the institutional knowledge, um, and being able to get a lot of stuff done, being able to turn my hand to lots of things, being a complete finisher, having a lot of attention to detail, being very goal orientated. Um, and so it was about the work I produced. The work product was a lot of yes. my success, as you know, on, and then, you know, then how I sort of led others to contribute to that vision. At PAXA in this role, um, what my main contribution is really my presence mm-hmm. and showing up for people and understanding the being there for people and making them the most important person in the mm-hmm. conversation is the work. Having the energy and resilience to flip from meeting to meeting, scenario to scenario, person to person, and give that meeting or that person your full and undivided attention for that period. So people there are supported to make the best decisions possible and make sure we're all pulling in the same direction.
0: And, and so that is a pressure, is it, for you, in terms of it being so different, markedly different? I love this distinction you made between, you know, the sort of delivery and the product and um, and the energy you put into to that. And this new energy, which is actually hold back on the delivery of yourself, just turn up and be fully present for others, particularly in the maybe the pressures that they're experiencing. Um, it sounds like in that shift, there is... A different energy you're having to connect with, Chloe.
1: Definitely, it's it is definitely different. And you know, I i think it's very easy. There's always stereotypes about, you know, once you get to a certain management, you don't do anything, you just sit in meetings all day. <laughs> and to an extent, that is true. Um, but it's understanding that the the work, the energy, the the listening is still just as important because. What you're actually doing is you're taking all of these different inputs and efforts from really smart people who, you know, who have great ideas and have put the work in. And what you're ultimately there to do is steer or sometimes decide what the direction of travel should be with all of these great inputs and pieces of work that's going to move the business forward while still making sure everyone there is fulfilling their own ambitions, doing work that gives them joy and feeling like they're part of a community and contributing.
0: Yeah. That's a big remit, hey, mm-hmm. and and it also links you or links me as you're talking to that connection between the decision making with wider choice than the decision making that is around steep, keeping us alive. Yes, keeping us sort of. The, yeah. it feels like it's more straightforward, um, even though I know the pressure was must have been great in Wirehive and and the responsibility as you say of other people is huge and immense but it sort of cuts through potentially the decision making in a way that is different from what you're describing now.
1: I think so it's you know I think probably the decision making is um, was often A or B or maybe A, B or C which (laughs) which did we do Um, you know it here it's In, you know, almost infinite paths.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, in a larger role, in a larger enterprise, how does pressure show up for you now? It's very
1: interesting. I think sometimes the physical symptoms kind of still show up, but I think I'm not sure if it's just because of a larger enterprise or just sort of my own recognition, but. I feel able to sort of at least take a pause or mm-hmm. look down on the symptoms you see, almost almost sort of step okay. out of the out of yourself and and look look down on it. Um I don't always get it right. Don't get me wrong. There's um I, I think the the pace and I'm finding the joy of having an amazing team who you just trust implicitly, you know, that is a gift that yeah. should never be taken for granted. Um it's you're sharing the pressure a lot right. more, yeah. um, to be honest. Um, I know that's not the case for every large enterprise, not every some ent- large enterprise have quite a toxic culture and it's very dog eat dog. But, um, I'm very grateful that actually the pressure feels more distributed and it's mm. more of a collective effort. And you know, everyone is there because they believe in the same thing and we're all trying to put in the same direction, you know, obviously everyone has their own stuff going on. We're all messy as human beings and mm-hmm. we can't always show up as our best selves every day. Um, and that can cause some friction, but generally the, the, the ability to sort of look and almost kind of understand that my role is probably to help diffuse pressure in other people is actually very rewarding.
0: Mm. Oh, how do you do that?
1: I, I see that as probably one of the primary roles as a leader. I believe human beings are all fundamentally good and no one shows up at work to coast or do a bad job. Mm -hmm. Everyone is here, is smart and committed and wants to be the best they can. So if you believe that to be true, like I do, then as a leader, it's not, sometimes it's a little bit about correcting perspective, but it's not about changing the person. It's about how can that person be successful and use their gifts in the best service to the organization and their own fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, a tricky path now to get, especially in a high growth business, a lot of pressure. And so actually I see my role is just to sort of be there and, and listen and often help people unpick their own pressure they put upon themselves. Or, you know, at times you have to give permission for people to not do something or to fail at something or to say, actually your idea is fantastic, but the business needs this right now. Um, And I think if you're a leader who can listen consistently and you show up consistently and you have that trust with the team that you are privileged enough to lead, then you're able to do that. And sometimes when you do have to take the decision, it's actually a relief for people rather than seen as a diktat.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's an interesting um, tension, isn't it? As to, at what time do you just need to make a decision and people are looking at you just to make a decision and at what yeah. time i suppose you you're, you're you're talking here about that choice you're making in that moment of how many opinions do i need here and how many how and when do they actually just need me to make a decision
1: yeah it's so true it's very interesting and you know and to be fair that is feedback i've had from my team as well about sometimes things they would like me to do more uh, i always try to be very democratic and collaborative um, you know, very much mm-hmm. a believer in the hire smart people and get out of their way philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes, you know, they've had that like, sometimes we just like you to be more direct in meet and don't just let us all talk on and on, just cut yeah. cut it and um, get us back on track or get, a, get us to make a decision or you make the decision. And yeah. I think in a world that is increasingly unstable and full of tension, I think sometimes that is what people are looking for. Um, and especially when there is an embarrassment of choice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a useful phrase. Embarrassed. Did you see an embarrassment of choice?
1: Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: That's that's a fascinating phrase, embarrassment of choice. Um, okay. So when, can you share an example, Chloe, when pressure is tipped over? Because you know that the whole premise here for me is the exploration of how do we turn pressure into a positive force? Mm. Because I really wholly believe that, people stretch with the right amount of pressure. Um, and I've seen too many people feel they can't do something and then actually when they go into it and they face that pressure, they evolve into something that really excites them and they grow. So uh, what, for you, can you share an example? Because we've all had them where that pressure has just gone too much and um, it's it's been probably one of the worst, worst moments.
1: Definitely, I think, um... It's an, exa- it's an example from Wirehive and it was when things weren't going so well. And actually we had to make some tough choices that actually involved, um, making some people from the business redundant, which was incredibly hard. And I ran the marketing function at the time. And unfortunately when, when these things happen, the, uh, people who, the marketing function is often the, the first one up for grabs because it's business growth, not business operations. Um, and I still remember to this day sat around the boardroom table and literally we all had a copy of the PL in front of us and I was like there with a pen and a ruler and we were literally you know what can we spend every we did everything we could to not touch people we but um but we were just staring down the barrel of we we had to make cut once and cut deep was the advice we were given and I I do believe it was the right thing to do but I just still remember that and and the pressure got too much for me because it became like the ringing in my ears. And I was just retreated completely inside of myself at that point. And I wasn't, didn't feel able to engage because I felt if I, if I said anything, it would just all come out. <laughs> it would just, I would just, it would just be an explosion of feeling and resentment and um, fear that this was a horrible thing. These were my people and they didn't deserve it and I didn't want to do it and it wasn't fair. Um and and I still remember that even after we made the decision and I accepted it, um we we agreed. And uh, I worked with the CEO at the time, uh, who I still work with now, and and he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell them because it's I'm the CEO and I need to do it. And I always feel bad that I let him because I'm like, but they're my people, but mm-hmm. I that's when the pressure had got to me because normally I'd be like, no, this is a point principle for me. It's horrible, but this is my job as a leader. I need to tell them. And I remember sitting in the room with him as he said these words, these awful, awful words to these people that I really cared about. And just sitting there not being able to really say anything mm-hmm. and feeling like such a failure as a leader and an imposter for even mm-hmm. thinking I could be there because I couldn't rise to the occasion
0: mm-hmm. at
1: that time. Um, and it really did kind of mess my head for a couple of months. And, but I was, it was, I kept it all inside myself.
0: I think it's worth pausing here for a moment to acknowledge how easy it is to allow a mood feeling or event to ring in our ears for more time than it deserves. And to be aware that we are much more inclined to do this with negative feelings and experiences than we are with positive moments. I rarely hear people say, I felt so proud of the way I did that that I let it ring loudly in my ears for two months. Because as humans, we have this tendency to pay too much attention to where we've messed up. We need to have ways to shift our mood and attention. Back to one of my favorite phrases, energy flows where attention goes. So what can we do to shift attention away from something that as Chloe described, is messing with our head? This is highly individual, but what helps me and many of the people I work with is to start with a body. It's very hard to control your mind with your mind. So look to your body as a starting place. This could be anything from shaking out your hands to jumping up and down, walking strongly with intention, smiling. I find smiling is a great way to interrupt any pressure I'm under. It disrupts the feeling when you smile at the same time. I'm reminded of something Steve Williams in our team shared when he climbed Everest. He said, with your fingers going numb and spindrift cutting your face to bits, if you just smile to yourself and sometimes you really have to force it, you actually start to feel warmer. Back to Chloe. What would be your advice about managing pressure in others? Particularly as, I think, as a, as a Chief People Officer, I think that is, in my experience of working with many, you know, that the, the overview of the care and getting the best out of people is a massive responsibility, uh, which A, requires something of you, To be in that wonderful state that you just described a few minutes ago, Chloe, not not in your bad experience when you say, you know, to be there for listening, to be present, to be fully present, that that requires an awful lot of practice and ability to shift your state, your own personal state, to be there for others in that regard. So how, how do you, A, well, maybe we'll come to how you do that so that you are properly fueled to be able to have that energy, but how do you manage others when you see them in a really highly pressured state
1: I think what I've learned and I always thought would be useful is is being there for people and I think that the biggest transition I've learned is when I first became a leader I thought it was my job to fix everything I was a rescuer (laughs) and I'm still a recovering rescuer to this day um but actually what people What people just need, and where people perhaps are afraid to offer help because they don't know the solution themselves, people just need to be heard. People need to, you know, the two things all human beings want is we want to be seen and we want to be understood. Mm. And just offering our hand, physically or metaphorically, to say, Would you like to talk about anything? I'm here. And just, and what I always say to people if they come to me for advice or I happen to talk to them, the conversation turns that way. I wasn't saying like, I say this to you from failing at this myself. So allow me to give you uh, the opportunity to not have to face this painful situation that I did. Um, And I'm always really clear with every leader in the business that I have failed many times and I will fail again. We will all fail because we are human. And as long as we are trying our best and operating in accordance with our values with positive intent and learning from those failures, That's fine. That's part of the process. Um, But failure is inherent. And I think, you know, it's never comfortable. No one likes failing as much as we talk about let's celebrate failure, let's talk about the fearless Mm -hmm. organization. You know, our human beings are ego driven creatures and our ego takes a battering when we fail. Mm -hmm. And it's trying to sort of offer that gift to others so they can give that grace and space to other people too.
0: It's hard though, isn't it? Because it requires a lot of yourself.
1: It does. And it does. How, do
0: you, how do you make sure that you can be in that steady state, Chloe? Because you, know, you talked about the current uncertainty and things are shifting. So, I mean, I, there, is, there are so many movements happening for all of us right now. Uh, it puts massive pressure in the system. So h- how do you operate? How do you personally take care of you to be able to show up in the way that you've just described?
1: I think I know that I need eight to nine hours sleep a night to operate at my best. And I've had to overcome a lot of, you know, internal uh, Protestant work ethic narratives about (laughs) sleeping being for the lazy and you can sleep when you're dead. Um, I need eight to nine hours and I can cope on six. Don't get me wrong. I've done weeks on six. Um, I can, I've done weeks on four, but I'm not my best self and it's not sustainable at all. So sleep is really my, kryptonite if I don't get enough sleep uh I'm not great um for me as well it's balancing my week so I'm a massive fan of hybrid work even though I'm a a chief people officer I'm not in the office every day because I need to balance that in-person connection time which fuels me in one way but also drains me slightly Mm. um and I need to balance that with some time at home so I can um although it might be cool you know video calls I can still connect people. I can still have a bit of space. My own space is very important to me, Um, my environment. And that really helps. It also helps the sleep. You know, those days you get an extra hour in bed if you're not commuting. Um, And I think just owning that and being happy and just saying, I know me and I have value and I know what I need to be successful. Um, And I think as leaders... And particularly as women, we spend too long apologizing for that. Mm. Um, and mm. I remember one of the first things you taught me that's always stayed for me is about being properly selfish. Mm. Uh, and I say that a lot to other people. And when I see other people in that endurance mode or they're looking they're looking like they're gonna burn out, and it's just like, what works for you? And you know, it's it's and it's little things like, I know I've had a long day, like don't just sit brain dead in front of Netflix, go and have a bath and read a book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's still you're not doing anything productive, but it refuels you in a way that's much well refuels me in a way that's much more useful than just sitting mindlessly in front of Netflix and scrolling on my phone at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yes. And and um, do you need prompts to do that to, to help you do that? Because often, what I well I know for myself, if I if I don't set up some sort of um quite ritualistic approach mm. to protecting that, it can slide very easily. And I know working with other people that this seems to be um quite a key topic is that you know the intention's there <laughs> but the action begins and then slowly fades as more things come into to the to-do list or that more pressure comes in um to be to remain properly selfish because you know ultimately your your bigger cause is to as you've said to be there and to be able to listen to be present and turn up wholly you um there's a lot of uh choices just in that isn't there so it's so
1: true. And, and I, I know what's good for me. I doesn't mean I always do it. <laughs> yes. Right. Like, I just want to be Very really real. honest. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so little things, I kind of try and set a bedtime alarm. So I have a okay. lot to get up in the morning. I have alarms, like you should probably go to bed now. Um, yeah. I actually, um, we, we have a rule as well in our house, only one box set at once to try and stop the binging tendency of television yeah. and mind numbing things. Um, yes. And I always try and have a great book on the go because I I really love reading. Um, And actually, if I if I know I've got a great book, I would rather go upstairs and have a bath and read that than sit in front of Netflix. And I know that's better for refueling for me. Um, But I get it wrong. I get it wrong so many times. And when the pressure builds, it's like, you know, I know I know what my my habits, my bad habits are when the pressure goes like, well, if I just do a couple of hours work tonight, if I just do this and if yeah. I take this on yeah. back into my old habit, of what used to make me successful, the thing that helped me pass my mass GCSE in spite of yeah. all my fears, the thing that helped me, you know, get my first gig in marketing, help me get the directorship at High, yeah. all those things, you know, that sort of 25 year habit of, well, if I just do the work, yes then i can control the outcome if i just yeah. work a little bit harder a little bit longer yeah. uh eventually we will we will get through this i will get through this it will be done um yeah. so it's yeah i'm i'm by no means perfect at this at all the other thing i have really learned and i have got quite disciplined about is booking my holidays at the start of the year and i'm a massive advocate of holiday and proper holiday when you log out of everything and you leave everyone else and trust them to, to get things done. And, you know, you, you don't have the illusion that you are so indispensable and important that the whole organization will fall apart without you there for a week or two. Um, and I, I'm, I not only, I'm really passionate about that for myself, but um, in my team, we do um, email managers every few months go like this much, of your team have not taken much of their holiday because it's really easy in a world One, we couldn't go anywhere for two years Mm -hmm. and two, that is uncertain. And maybe people feel, you know, maybe people in the position where they feel they can't afford to go away and so they they just don't take the time. Also, I think work has become a place in some ways where we have many of our primary relationships. And so some people don't want to go away from work because this is their, this is the place where they feel safe and they feel they have a connection. And actually the thought of holiday out of that doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me that's that's a worry because that is when we don't have a healthy blend between work and life.
0: yeah and and I'm interested in that bit about when when you see things as a bit of a worry. So as a chief people officer, Chloe, when you see leaders, senior mm-hmm. leaders, maybe maybe you know even the CEO,
1: mm-hmm.
0: when you see people I'm gonna say leaking. Mm. Uh, pressure or leaking unhelpful signs that you can see having uh, an impact on various other people and they seem unaware of that or if they are aware of it they're not necessarily choosing to manage it in 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 the best way how how do you do what do you what do you do with that
1: yeah I always I always try and talk to them but yeah, you know, obviously it's at the end of it, it's an adult to adult conversation I I always, Try to veer away from lecturing because no one wants that to be uh, what HR do. We get mm. a bad enough rap as it is. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but no, I, I we we talk about it, and um, you know, not not just like one on one, but we, we talk about it as a group. Um, the the C staff in Amia certainly, okay. and around how important role modeling is in our leadership practice, um, and that that's something I've always been been very aware of it, and almost you know, trying to say, I, I appreciate that you may feel that you need to, to do this. Um, But the leaking is the problem, like you say, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, I'm concerned for them as individual, I want them to have their holiday. Um, I, Um, You know, they, they've got people they can delegate to, Um, you know, everyone who works here, uh, from the, the CEO to our new graduates, I want to feel like they can rest and relax. But I know it's different mm-hmm. for different people.
0: Mm-hmm. But the,
1: like you say, the key thing is, is when it leaks. Yes. And it's actually if, Someone feels like, oh, it's okay, I, I need to do this, but it, but you they're not pulling it off successfully um, mm. to the case where actually it's not good for them and everyone else can see that it's causing them stress. Um, yeah. Because if we don't take rest seriously and loudly and proudly as leaders, mm. it doesn't give permission for anyone else to do so. Certainly not people who think, well, I would like to progress in this organization and if they see leaders who are always on email, always working late, never take their holiday properly, sit sit on the beach with their laptop, mm-hmm. um, they're going to think, well, that's what it takes. And then some great talented people will opt out of that, being like, well, this is if this is what it takes, this is this is not for me, yeah. and I think I'm proof that that's not what it takes. <laughs> um, or they'll develop these behaviors and think like. Oh, well, if I want to be seen as someone who has ambition, I should never take that holiday. I should always be seen to be online. And that's incredibly toxic, not just for the individual, but for the organisation as a whole.
0: I love Chloe's idea of taking rest seriously, loudly and proudly. Wouldn't it be great to have that as an instruction written up on the wall? Chloe referred earlier to a phrase I use a lot with leaders who are underfueled, properly selfish, To be consistently there for others, we have to be properly selfish to look after us. What would you pay more attention to if you're more properly selfish? Chloe mentions how she has to focus even more on her refuel because what she now needs to be successful has evolved. Fixing got her so far and now as a senior leader, fixing is less useful. She gives us a window into the self-talk that used to reinforce her old habit. If I just do the work, if I can control the outcome, if I just work a little bit harder and a little bit longer, eventually I will get through this and it will be done. The fact is, when you've been used to doing something that has served you well, it takes real effort to consciously do less of something well-practiced and more of something less-practiced. Here's a reminder of Chloe's properly selfish habits. One, bedtime alarm. Lack of sleep is her kryptonite. She needs to monitor it. She knows that eight or nine hours sleep is preferable if she's to operate at her best. Two, have a bath and read a book. I'm with her on that one. I love a bath. She always has a great book on the go. In Claudia Hammond's research into people's most restful activities, interestingly, reading came out top. Three, intentionally booking holidays and breaks across the year ahead. Four, they have a house rule, one box set at a time to avoid any binging. And five, Make sure that she has time on her own. Being with people can drain her, so she prioritises time in her own environment, at home. It gives her space. These matter to Chloe. They help her to remain consistent and to operate at her best. So what would you pay more attention to if you were not just selfish, but properly selfish? And once you've made your list, take it seriously, loudly and proudly. And you have regular conversations with your C-suite and in for, for, for Absolutely. That? Yeah. We meet every week and we have,
1: you know, we, we talk about operational things, obviously, but we, we worry a lot. We sweat the detail a lot around, are we staying true to our culture? Are we living our values? Are we delivering for the organisation uh, in the way that we need to? And everyone makes their own individual choices, but I'm really grateful to my colleagues that, don't. there's never once been a moment where it's like, oh, well, people's your department, Chloe. Like, you, you worry mm-hmm. about the people. We're, we're, we'll do the business stuff over mm-hmm. here. It's really ingrained in all of Pax8 that, you know, your first responsibility, if you are a leader of people, is just that. And that is something that is a gift in this role. Because I know it's not the case everywhere.
0: Yeah. And, and have you established any sort of um, rhythms and routines with your own team, Chloe? That, in your view, has made a significant difference, or in their view, even in a in a significant difference to to be their best in increasing pressure. I think,
1: from from my point of view, that their point of view may differ. But um, <laughs> we have um, a weekly people or leadership team meeting, um, and that. Um, is 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 quite operational. It's about kind of checking in and solving issues. But the most important thing for me is that we have that space together. And actually, the agenda is quite loose. And so, people, anyone can raise any issue. It's not my agenda. It's our agenda as as a group. And what I'm also really scrupulous about having is weekly one on ones with every single person um, who directly reports to me. Um, and again, the whole the whole our whole ethos here is the one on one is uh, is your meeting. Um, you know people should bring their own agenda it's my time to be there be present listen um, you know recognize great achievements help remove roadblocks Um, and sometimes it's really operational but sometimes it's just a space I think just in this world which is so hectic and always changing Mm -hmm. making sure you have those spaces yeah those dedicated sacred spaces for people to show up and just be present with each other and be able to say what's on their mind is so important.
0: Yeah. Great. Thank you. And just from your position of being fresh, not even a year yet as a chief people officer, moving from startup to enterprise, what would you say is the biggest pressure right now for your organization?
1: It's really interesting because the biggest pressure is probably the same pressure for everyone, but it is also opportunity, which is is the amount of uncertainty mm. in the world right now is probably the biggest pressure. We've gone from a fairly stable period of economic growth. Uh, we work in cloud technology, which is, you know, boomed during mm. COVID. We were mm. all able to work from home very well. Um, you know, and as we go into a recession, we know that what a lot of uh businesses will do is they will look to spend less on hardware and more on software, and they will after a, probably a slight freeze in spending as they kind of come to terms with the changing conditions, they will look to make strategic investments to save the money long-term, which normally means investing in cloud technology. Uh, we have seen, we saw this in 2008, we saw it in 2011, we saw it during COVID. Um, so we feel very confident that actually, if anything else, this will accelerate some digital transformation um, and, and lead to an upside. But we are very cognizant that, the partners we work with are founder led smaller businesses yeah. and they need to be in the right place to weather this so our, our main kind of concern is supporting them and also supporting our people yeah so you know we're we're very much a service organization um offered the service of partners being in service to our partners as a community as an industry Is incredibly important to us. Our whole ethos is distribution is broken and the managed service provider is underserved. And that's the whole raison d'etre for Pax 8. We're in service to our partners in terms of the account management we give, but we are always being in service to our people. And we've always had this philosophy of servant leadership right from our founder, John Street. Mm -hmm. So this being in service to people means you do take on a lot of pressure as leaders. And, you know, I think particularly over the summer, it does feel like someone's been turning up the gas Mm -hmm. a little bit on the, and it's a bit of a pressure cooker. You know, we have for the first time, probably since the 1970s, a situation where people in work are worrying about heating their homes because of the energy crisis we're coming. So there's some real, you know, we've just got through the existential threat of COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, people are now the world is opening up and then suddenly our whole economic system which was based on really low interest rates Mm. interest rates are going up so mortgage costs are going up Mm -hmm. food costs are going up and energy costs are going up this Mm -hmm. is hitting people right at the bottom of maslow's hierarchy Mm -hmm. that you know sense of security and home is being threatened and it's not you know you can't say oh it's you know it's people in uh high risk jobs or low income areas this is affecting everyone mm-hmm. and on top of that we have war in ukraine and mm-hmm. a worry that you know this will compound the energy crisis and there may even mm-hmm. be a war over energy in europe so this is a you know unprecedented uncertain landscape and then obviously today we're talking in britain the day after the yeah. queen has passed who has been there who has been constant one constant in yeah. a lot of people's lives a sense yeah. of national identity has suddenly gone
0: yeah
1: it's a whole whirlpool of uncertainty yeah at the moment yeah and it's really hard for people to be their best and show up every day in those situations no matter how fulfilling their role is and how much support you give as an organization you have to accept people have stuff going on outside of work and that yeah. will affect how they show up
0: Absolutely. And I I suppose, you know, on the on the back of that, how do you um, focus all of that noise that's going on around you into something that feels, I think you used the words joyful at the start Mm -hmm. of this, Chloe? You know, how do you create an atmosphere where people can respond to that growth and at the same time feel an element of joy? Um, and you're, you're you're watching this across all of your leaders, aren't you? In the in yeah. the territory that you're responsible for. Yeah, um, I,
1: I think it's empathy is key. I think in a really fast growth business, we're very ambitious. We have big targets, um, and that's and there is a lot to do, and a lot that can be done. But I don't think we should ever confuse fast growth with rushing. And that's where the danger comes in. And I think that's how pressure shows. When things are uncertain, and I see this in myself, we look for control and we look for control in action. It's like, I need to do something about this. I can't do anything about the swirl around me or my people. So let's channel our energy into doing something. And often where I've seen things go a bit wrong is if people rush to action rather than perhaps empathize and understand and be a bit more considered doesn't mean go slow but it's it's the rushing that often causes the problem
0: what I think you're 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 talking about here is a moment of just pause or 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 just something that allows you to get out of rush and into choice or into decision how how do you do that for yourself and how do you do that how do you help your team or those around you focus on that when you see it
1: i think a lot of the time is um as le- that's kind of one of the key responsibilities as a leader right now it's it's having that perspective and it's uh also bringing people together um i think that sense of connection is really important when times are uncertain um a lot of the times we we find that moment because we've normally made a mistake i'll be honest like okay. um yeah and mm-hmm. actually having an organization where you can hold up a mistake to the light and say okay look what we did here and look what happened how can we we learn from this collectively it's not about blaming you know no one did this intentionally but it's it's a lessons learned and it's having that psychological safety where we can do that as an organization so that's about you know in every meeting soliciting opposing opinion you know never asking anyone to apologize for voicing dissent like actively praising people who do dissent even if it makes the decision take longer because that builds the kind of culture where we can where we can talk about these things um and i think as well again having those set spaces in the diary mm. just to connect whether it's one-on-one or as a group yes and we, we talk you know just just the moment to discuss um Is important, but I also need my team to hold me to account there. And this is why psychological safety is so important because it's a two-way street. Because as I always say to everyone, we are human too as leaders. Um, you know, we we are fallible and Mm. we can sometimes get carried away with our own bad habits and uh sometimes the, the pressure gets to us. Obviously, it's our job to rise above it and try not to, but having a Trusted team where you have that collaborative trusted dialogue is so important during these times because yes. we're not always going to be able to show us our best every day.
0: No, no, and being able to have those spaces to say it, it's not a great day for yeah. me. Um, and you've got other people that's got your back. I yeah, that's what I'm hearing you say.
1: Absolutely, um, it is a is a gift. Yeah. Um, it because you can't do this alone. No, no one's superhuman everyone no. needs help especially now yes yeah and I, I think that that's my earlier point I think sometimes leaders either we jump in and we try and fix everything or we withdraw because we think oh god if I open that door I have that conversation I'm gonna have to fix it and I don't know how to do that and I'm a bit scared mm-hmm. so if I just retreat here and put up this barrier of I am a leader and I will talk to you about operational things and nothing else it's kind of a a shield and I think the most liberating thing I have learned is that people don't need you to fix them they're Mm. adults they have the solution they just need you to sit there with them in the darkness and say I'm here for you can Mm. I help you out Mm. I have to solve it for them
0: Great, thank you, Chloe. Well, that leads nicely into um, the point of the podcast, where I'm going to I want to ask you two questions. Well, actually, one question with two answers. What would be the two things that you would pay forward to anyone listening to this podcast wanting to be better under pressure?
1: Two things I would always say is you know more than you think. You've got to back yourself. You've got to crowd out those voices of self-doubt and it's easier said than done um but you know think about all you've achieved try and lean on that and put get it in perspective I think that's a really important thing sometimes when we're in it and in the weeds it feels like finishing something or achieving something or acting is the most important thing we have to do and if you can just take a breath <laughs> and mm-hmm. elevate out of the weeds, it gives you some really much needed perspective. You, you have the answer. You can do this. It's just often it's we sabotage ourselves or we let circumstances take over. Yes. Um, and the other thing that's related to that is never, ever be afraid to ask for help. These are big roles and you can't do it alone. Um, and sometimes asking for help is just showing up as yourself and saying to your team, I too am an imperfect, imperfect, flawed individual, and I am trying my best. And my commitment to you is I will always try my best.
0: Great. And if I if I asked you both those questions, Chloe, if I, so back at you, um, how do you back yourself? How have you learned to back yourself? What do you um,
1: do? A lot of that is through experience um you know I doubted myself hugely when I started my career and um building up a little kind of smile file or trophy cabinet mm-hmm. is really important so have, having those you know that's the point of resilience you have you need those stores to look back on so you need the stores of where you were successful um you know I'm awareness really helps you kind of have that you know that what your tendencies are. So you can have that dialogue with yourself rather than just letting the inner voice of so you're not good enough, you can't do this, you're going to fail, take over. Um, so having that dialogue and having that, those stores of past achievements
0: really help. Um, and presumably you built that up out of, uh, what, what I like about what you're saying there is that you need these things that have almost been constructed when you felt good, <laughs> because in yes. those moments when you don't back yourself, you need to have something very concrete to link back to, to stop that inner voice and stop that thinking that's going on.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely an empiricist. And, you know, when, mm. when I'm stressed, I will go to the data. So actually, I've tried to turn mm. that what can sometimes be quite a destructive habit of kind of going into the weeds into something that works for me because I just use the data of my past achievements to lift me up.
0: Love that. And the second question, ask for help. How good are you at asking for help?
1: I'm better than I was, not as good as I could be, is probably my summation there. Um, okay. but I think really for me, um asking for help is both with sort of your peers and colleagues and having that really trusting relationship with your manager, but also with your team. Um yeah. they're the people you work with every day. They're um the people you're all, you know, I am there to support. And being the relationship is so much richer than just sort of thinking, I'm here to support you. I must have all the answers. I must fix everything. Mm-hmm. It's such a richer relationship when you can be like, we're all in this together. You know more about this than I do, or today I'm having a bad day. Um, it's a real team, you know, a real community, a real connection. Um, and I think that's just what everyone is looking for. And that's what I hope for everyone that they get from work. Because I think if you have that connection that community, it really enables people to get into that space of self-fulfillment and joyful work.
0: What a great place to stop, Chloe. Thank you so much. No worries. I've really enjoyed our chat today. Me too. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Better Under Pressure with me, Sarah Milne-Rowe. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and let us know what you found useful or what you'd like to know more about. Our aim is to share as many examples as possible of what people do to manage pressure for better. If you're interested in any of the practices mentioned, check out my book, The Shed Method. Alternatively, you can find us at Coaching Impact or me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Better Under Pressure was produced by the fab team at Smart Cookie Media. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, goodbye.